Welcome to the preaching podcast of Poplar Springs Baptist Church in Hiram, Georgia, and the preaching ministry of our senior pastor, Wayne Meadows. It is our desire that the message you hear today would call you to a closer walk with Jesus Christ, and that your life would give glory to God as you apply the biblical truths proclaimed. For more information about the ministry of Poplar Springs Baptist Church, check us out on the web, www.psbchurch.net. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the preaching of God's Word. All right, if you have your Bibles this morning, let's get into the Word together. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to look today at verses 15 through 21. Ephesians 5, 15 through 21. We'll hear in our text this morning Paul's final exhortation to consider our Christian walk or our way of life. And today we're going to look at the, uh, the theme of walking wisely, walking wisely. So if you have your Bibles open, follow along and hear as I read the Word of God today, Ephesians 5, verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And may the Lord bless this morning the reading and the preaching of his word. Walking wisely. Paul's final exhortation for us to consider our Christian walk. He's dealt with this theme, this topic of our Christian walk several times previously in his letter to the Ephesian believers. He began in Ephesians 2.2. There he described how we once walked, not after the things of God or according to the Spirit of God, but according to our own selfish desires. We were by our very nature children of wrath. Then in Ephesians 2.10, after having understood the glories of the gospel and understanding the richness of God's mercy, Paul tells us that we uh, should now walk according to the good works that God has prepared for us. Then when he comes to Ephesians 4, that great pivot point in his letter where he moves from doctrine in the first three chapters to duty in the last three chapters, he describes what that walk looks like. He tells us in Ephesians 4.1 that we should walk worthy of the gospel, that our lives should be lived out in a manner worthy of the calling that we have experienced. Then in Ephesians 4.17, he tells us that we should not walk as the Gentiles do or the pagans do. Uh, That we as believers, that we who are children of God should live distinguished lives. That we should look different than those of the world. And then last Sunday we looked at the beginning of Ephesians 5. Where we saw in Ephesians 5, 2 that that, that Paul calls us to walk uh, as Christ did. And to walk in love. To to walk in love, to to display the love that Christ has shown us to the world that is around us. And then further down into Ephesians 5, he told us in Ephesians uh, 5, 7 that we're to walk as light. Walk in love and walk as light. And now we come to our text this morning in Ephesians 5, 15. He instructs us to walk as those who are wise. We're to walk 
wisely. We're to walk in wisdom, God's wisdom. And it's important that we note how Paul begins this passage today. He, he gives us a, a strong word. He, he calls us to give great attention to our walk and to ensure that we're walking not as unwise, but as wise. He tells us, look carefully. Look carefully. Pause and consider your walk this morning. Are you walking according to God's wisdom? You remember as you were growing up, perhaps from a parent or a grandparent or maybe even as a parent today, you've watched your children uh, close to getting out of line or they're about to do something that uh, wouldn't be helpful or beneficial to them. Remember the instruction, the admonition that you gave them or the one that you heard? Be careful. You better be careful. You better give attention to what you're about to do or who you're about to do it with or how you're about to do it. Be careful. Well, Paul is calling us to that same consideration this morning. Be careful and make sure that you are walking wisely as a child of God. But why is that? Why is Paul calling us to this careful consideration to ensure that we're not walking unwise but wise? The answer to that question is because everybody walks according to wisdom. Everybody lives their life according to some philosophy or some way. The question we must seek to answer is, where does our wisdom come from? According to what wisdom are we walking in this life? In James chapter 3, James writes, beginning in verse 13, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Do you hear what James is saying there? There are two sources of wisdom in this world. There is a wisdom that comes from above, that is heavenly, and then there's a wisdom that is from below and is earthly. And every one of us today, we're walking according to either of those wisdoms. We're either walking from wisdom that is above or wisdom that is below. So walking wisely means that we're walking according to the right wisdom, the wisdom that comes from above. And when we walk according to that wisdom, Paul says we're, we're wise, we're not unwise. So we must give careful consideration to how we're walking today. The outcome of our walk, especially in relation to the wisdom that we follow, has enormous consequences. Ray Ortland, in his commentary on the book of Proverbs, that Old Testament book that is a, a, an invaluable resource regarding God's wisdom for us in this world, listen to what he says. Wisdom is not handy tips to improve our lives like software upgrades. Wisdom is not high-octane added ingredient to boost our performance. Wisdom, he says, is a matter of life and death because wisdom reveals we are listening to God with an eager heart. 
Wisdom matters today. The wisdom that you're listening to. Are you listening to the wisdom of this world or the wisdom of God? Paul calls us to look carefully at how we're walking. Not as unwise, but as wise. This is how Jesus ended his sermon on the mat with this same call to walk in a wise fashion. The greatest sermon ever preached. How are you going to wrap it up? How are you going to draw the conclusion? How are you going to tie it up and end that sermon? Jesus gives us a very powerful illustration to conclude the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 7, verse 24, he says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount, his concluding remarks by calling us to to walk wisely in this world. To heed and to follow his words, to build our house upon them. You notice in the conclusion that Jesus gave there that the difference was the foundation, not the storm that came. The wind, the rain, they all fell, they all blew against both individuals, the wise and the unwise, but wisdom made the difference. I'm reminded of the late great actor John Wayne and the proverb that he was fond of saying, life is hard, it's even harder when you're stupid. And that's absolutely the case. Life is hard because we live in a broken world. We live in a world where there is rain falling and floods coming and winds blowing and it beats upon our house every single day. We live in a world that knows the impact of sin. But how will we respond to it? Will we follow the words of Jesus? If we don't, life is even more difficult. So Paul today calls us to look carefully, to give long consideration to how our walk is. Not only must we walk according to the work that God has prepared for us, not only must we walk different than the world, we must walk in love, we must walk as light, but here he tells us we must walk as wise people. But what does that look like? What does it look like to walk wisely in this world as a believer? Well, Paul gives us three descriptions and what it means to walk wisely. And I want to share them with you this morning. So let's get into the text a little bit more. First of all, walking wisely means that we live with an eternal focus. Walking wisely means that we live with an eternal focus. Paul says in verse 16, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Look carefully then at how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And here's what it looks like to walk wisely. Make the best use of the time because the days are evil. Only when we live with eternity in mind can we live wisely in this present world. Paul here, when he uses the phrase at the end of verse 16, the days are evil, it's an echo of the same language that he used when he wrote to the Galatians in Galatians 1.4. There he speaks of the present evil age. And in that verse, and even here in Ephesians 5.16, uh, we get a, a, an understanding of what Paul is aiming at here. 
that these days that we live in presently are evil. They're hard. They're, they're proliferated with sin. But understand this, they're passing away as well. These days will not last forever. This present evil age in which we now reside is one day going to be wrapped up and will be no more. And eternity will come. So Paul is telling us, in light of that, make the best use of the time. Make the best use of what you've been given now. Seize the day. Seize the opportunity. And the only way that you'll learn to do that and to live that way is when you live with eternity in mind. God wants us to have this concept, to to have this principle in our lives. He was teaching us this from the very beginning of Scripture. Genesis 1-1, you know how it begins. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And oh, the theology that is packed into that one verse that opens the pages of God's holy word. But in that opening phrase, in the beginning, God is teaching us something of great value and importance. In the beginning. You know what that implies to us? What do you have whenever you have a beginning? An ending, right? Because we have a beginning, it implies that an ending is coming. And from the very first words in Scripture, God is letting us know that, hey, this is how it began, but you need to understand it's going to end one day. You need to understand that history will one day be no more, and eternity will be all that remains. Therefore, walk wisely and make the best use of the time that you have right now. When we think about investing, we oftentimes think about investing our treasures where we can put our money or our goods to yield the greatest return. What stocks, what 401k, what mutual fund, what real estate, on and on we can go. But hear me this morning. We don't need to think about investing simply our treasures, but we need to think about investing our time. Paul here tells us to make the best use of our time because it's a limited amount that you are given in this world. And Paul uses a word here that means to to redeem it back, to, to, to buy it back. Before we knew Christ, before we walked with the Lord, before we were transformed by the gospel, we were wasting our time in light of eternity. But now, now Paul says, walk wisely and make the best use of the time that you have because the days are evil. You know one of the best ways we can use our time that we have right now is to urgently share the gospel, to urgently share the good news. You see, there is coming a day when A gospel invitation will be no more. There is coming a day when the opportunity to receive Christ will be passed. And certainly we all know those individuals in our lives, family members, friends, associates, acquaintances, even the unreached people that we pray for uh, many Sundays here at Poplar Springs. The gospel is only good news to them if it gets there in time. So in the midst of these evil present days that we are living with, let us redeem the time, let us make the best use of it, and get the gospel out as much as we can. We must live with an eternal focus. Jonathan Edwards, that great light in the Great Awakening here in the American colonies in the 1700s, was an amazing individual. If you've never sat down and read the many resolutions that he penned for his life, I would encourage you to do so. Just do a Google search and you'll find them. Read them. He would read these every day. And the majority of these he wrote when he was only 19 or 20 years of age. Absolutely phenomenal. But one of the things that he was resolved to do and to remind himself of each day was to live with eternity in mind. 
He would pray, oh God, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. Let me view everything through the lens of eternity. Oh, if we want to walk wisely as the people of God, as a child of God, we must live with an eternal focus. The unwise person, they simply live with today in mind. Martin Luther said on his calendar he only kept two days. This day and that day. This day right now, this present day where he was living and had an opportunity to redeem the time, and then that day, that eternal day where he will spend it with God forevermore. Let us walk wisely and live with an eternal focus. Secondly, Paul tells us in verse 17, to walk wisely means that we aim to please the Lord. We aim to please the Lord. Verse 17, he says, therefore... Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Paul is once again using the familiar format in his writing, especially here in the book of Ephesians. He's giving us more contrast. In fact, here in our text this morning, he gives us three contrasts. We've seen the first one already in verse 15. He says, look carefully then at how you walk, not as unwise, but wise. Contrast number one. The third contrast we'll look at in a moment, he tells us in verse 18, don't get drunk with wine, that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. But the middle contrast here in verse 17, he says, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Negatively, don't be a fool. Positively, know what God's will is. Don't be foolish, understand the will of the Lord. So we walk wisely when we aim to please the Lord. I believe in verse 17, Paul is coming back to an idea uh, that he began in our text last Sunday. You remember in the second half of the sermon, we talked about how he called us to walk as light. And one of those things that light uh, does is it exhibits, it shows forth the fruit of light, Paul says in Ephesians 5, 9. And part of that is verse 10, where he says, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. He's telling us to walk in a way that is wise. And part of that is that we want to aim to please the Lord in everything that we do. Paul comes back to that in verse 17. Don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So the will of the Lord for your life is that you would please him in absolutely everything. Do you remember when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River? He went in and under and up and out, and then the whole trinity showed up, right? You had the son that had been baptized. You had the spirit descending on him in the form of a dove, and you had the father speaking from heaven. You remember what he said? This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. The father was pleased with the son. The father was pleased with the son and what he had come to do and what he he would do. Well, what did Jesus come to do? Well, Jesus tells us in John chapter number 8 that the food that sustained him, that which carried him through his earthly ministry, here it is, was to do the will of his Father who had sent him. Why was the Father pleased with the Son? Because he was about doing the will of the Father. We must be about pleasing the Lord. It must be our aim as well. But how do we do that? How do we we understand what the will of the Lord is and not live foolishly? 
Well, I think the book of Proverbs is very insightful in this because, again, it is the Old Testament book of wisdom. Uh, The Lord has given us uh, the ways that we should walk in the world that he has made in Proverbs. And what we see over and over and over again in the book of Proverbs is that walking wise always begins when we seek to fear the Lord. When we seek to fear the Lord. The beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Fifteen times in the book of Proverbs, we hear that refrain over and over and over again. It's the major theme and thrust of the book. You can't live a life of wisdom without knowing the fear of the Lord. You can't miss that. And listen to me, you'll never please the Lord unless you understand what it is to fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the fountainhead, the starting line. But what does it mean to fear the Lord? Let me give you two concepts. Number one, reverence. Reverence. The fear of the Lord is an understanding and recognition of who God is that impacts your entire life. And that's the contrast that Paul is upholding for us here in Ephesians 5, 17. Do not be foolish. When you read through the book of Proverbs, you've got this contrast going on of the wise and the foolish, of wisdom and folly. And what we're told is that the foolish person gives no regard to the things of God or the ways of God or the word of God. They don't seek the wisdom that is above. Instead, they seek the wisdom that is from below. And here Paul tells us, don't walk according to that way. Instead, understand the will of the Lord. And that begins when you reverence him. You understand who he is and how that shapes everything about you. And what Paul is going to show us as we go through the remainder of Ephesians is how that shapes every relationship that we have. So we have reverence for him. The fear of the Lord is also an understanding of a relationship with him as well. Especially in the book of Proverbs, when it speaks of the fear of the Lord, it always uses the covenantal name of God there for the word Lord. It's spelled in all caps. And in using that, it's signifying a personal relationship that he has with his people. And so wisdom begins when we reverence God for who he is and we have a right relationship with him. And that only comes through Jesus Christ. So I would encourage you here today, if you look carefully at your life and you realize that you're walking as one who is unwise, it may be that you need to come to Christ today for salvation, that you need to give your heart and your life to him. You need to realize that the only way that you can be reconciled to a holy God is to come to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith and believe in him. So fear of the Lord. When we have that in our lives, it will lead us to pleasing God in all that we do. We reverence him. We don't cower. It's not that we're we're shrinking back from him. No, but we, we recognize who he is and we hold him in the highest of regard and want his life to be glorified in all of ours. So we aim to please the Lord. Don't be foolish, but aim to please the Lord. Understand what the will of the Lord is. When Paul uses the word understand there, he's using it, I think, in two ways. First, in an intellectual way. Understand the will of the Lord. That biblically, we would understand what God has told us regarding his will in his word. That we would know scripture. You'll you'll never walk wisely apart from the source of wisdom, the Word of God. So you've got to understand what God's Word says and how it directs your life. So there's an intellectual concept in the word understand. But there's another side to it. Same side or different side of the same coin. 
But not only is it an intellectual idea, but also a volitional. Understand and do. Understand what the will of the Lord is right now in this day, in your life, in this season, in this moment. And be about doing it. You see, you can be foolish in two ways. You can be foolish in the regards that you don't know. You have no idea. But you can also be foolish in the sense that you do know and you do nothing about it, right? So Paul says, no, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is and aim to see that happen in your life. Live according to wisdom. Walk as one who is wise. And then thirdly this morning, Paul tells us if we would walk wisely, we must focus on eternity. He says we must, uh, we must understand the will of the Lord. And thirdly, he tells us we need to yield to the Spirit's control. Yield to the Spirit's control. And this is really the heart of the passage today. This is the meat that Paul gives us here in verses 18 through 21. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. There's been a lot of ink used in unpacking or seeking to unpack what it means when Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. And there's a lot of confusion regarding what Paul is saying here. But let me be clear. Paul is giving us a command. This is an imperative. Be filled with the Spirit. In fact, there's two commands that he gives us there in verse 18. The first is, don't get drunk with wine. The Bible's pretty clear about that. Drunkenness is a sin before the Lord. But the second command that he gives in verse 18 is be filled with the Spirit. You must be filled with the Spirit. It's a command. We're not walking wisely in this world as believers if we're not filled by the Spirit of God. John MacArthur said it well, unless a Christian is filled with the Spirit, he will live in spiritual weakness, retardation, frustration, and defeat. It's imperative that we're filled with the Spirit. Now, before we seek to discover what it means to be filled with the Spirit, let's talk about briefly what it's not. Because there are many misconceptions, many misconceptions about what it means to be filled with the Spirit. First of all, being filled with the Spirit is not a dramatic experience, second blessing, or spiritual zap that you receive from the Lord. All right? It's not some dramatic experience nor is it a second blessing or spiritual zap that you receive from the Lord. So you're not filled with the Spirit because you sit in a service and sing a song and you get chicken skin. All right? You understand what I mean by chicken skin, right? You get these little Holy Ghost goosebumps that pop up on your arm and the back of the neck, and man, you feel something. That's not an indication that you are filled with the Spirit. All right? That's just an indication that you have been moved emotionally. Not necessarily a bad thing, but not an indication that you have been zapped and are now filled with the Spirit. That's not what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Secondly, the filling is not an act of the flesh whereby we simply do as God commands. Being filled with the Spirit is not us trying harder. It's not us giving more effort. It's not us pulling up ourselves by our bootstraps. It's not us in the power of our flesh. Third, being filled with the Spirit is not being indwelt with the Spirit. There is a distinction between being indwelt with the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit. 
Every believer today, every child of God, every person who has placed faith in Jesus Christ, you are indwelt with the Spirit. He is taking up residence in your life. The Spirit of Christ resides within you. Romans 8, Paul makes that clear. So being filled with the Spirit is not being indwelt with the Spirit. You have the Spirit, and you won't lose the Spirit. He's in you. He is part of your life. Being filled with the Spirit is distinct from that. Furthermore, being filled with the Spirit is not a process of progressive possession. Here's what I mean by that. When you were saved and you came to faith in Jesus Christ, you got all the Spirit. You have the entirety of the person of the Holy Spirit living in you, indwelling you today. God did not make you a measuring cup whereby he is pouring out different quantities of his Spirit in you. Some of you today do not have an eighth of the Spirit, others a half of the Spirit, others three-quarter, and a few of us maybe have the fullness of the Spirit. No, that's not what, what the, the feeling of the Spirit is. It is not a process of progressive possession. We have the Holy Spirit. Furthermore, being filled with the Spirit is not the baptism of the Holy Spirit. All right, we hear a whole lot of time. Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Some denominations say it's evidenced by you speaking in tongues. Let me give you the biblical understanding of what it means to be baptized in the Spirit. If you are a child of God today, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ and are saved today, you have been baptized by the Holy Spirit. Biblically speaking, baptism of the Holy Spirit is the work of the Holy Spirit in the act of regeneration whereby you are made new, where you become a new creation, where you are given new life. Biblically speaking, that is the understanding of baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then finally, being filled with the Spirit is not the sealing of the Spirit. Paul has told us previously in Ephesians 1 verse 14 that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit as the guarantee of the promised inheritance that we have awaiting us who are the children of God. So there's a distinction between sealing and filling. So we, we talked about what it's not, but the bigger question is, what is it then? When Paul says, be filled with the Spirit, what does he have in mind? Well, simply put, to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. To yield your life to him. And we know that because of the word that Paul uses there at the end of verse 18, filled, filled. It's a picture word in the New Testament. It it, kind of creates in our minds three pictures to help us understand what it means to be filled by the Spirit. First of all, the word filled was used in Paul's day to speak of wind filling a sail and moving a ship along. You hoist the sail and that wind fills the sail and then it carries that ship along. That's the idea that Paul has in mind here. We are filled with the Holy Spirit, and guess what? The Holy Spirit is carrying us along in life. He is leading, he is guiding, he is directing, and we are yielding to him. That's how Peter uses the word in 2 Peter 1.21, where he talks about the, the, the writing of Scripture, how the authors of Scripture were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The word carried, there's the same idea of filled. So the Holy Spirit fills us as he's carrying us along. It's also the idea of permeation. In Paul's day, salt was used as a preserving agent, and it would be placed on meat, and that salt would permeate the meat to to give it the the protective properties that would preserve it for use later down the road. So God here is telling us that he desires his spirit to fill and to flavor, to permeate every aspect of his children's lives. 
And then the word filled carries the idea of total control. In John chapter 16, verse 6, Jesus is there sharing the final discourse with his apostles. He's just moments away from being arrested and then later crucified. He shared with them the news that he is going away. Uh, he shared with them the news of what's going to happen, and they are blown away. They're, they're dumbfounded. And man, their world is collapsing all around them. And in John 16, 6, this is what Jesus says to them. Because I've said these things to you, here it is, sorrow has filled your heart. The word filled there that Jesus used is the same word that Paul uses here. And what Jesus was saying to them on that night is that everything that you're doing right now, every action and every emotion, every expression is being controlled by the sorrow that has filled you. Sorrow is controlling you right now. Well, in like fashion, Paul gives us the command here that we must be filled with the Spirit. We must be controlled and yielded to the Spirit in our life. And Paul gives us a very simple comparison back in Ephesians 5, verse 18, to kind of get an idea of how that operates. He tells us negatively at the beginning of the verse, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Drunkenness is the sin before the Lord. And we understand what happens when an individual becomes drunk. Their body, their words, their actions are controlled by the wine that they have taken in. It controls the mind, the actions, the emotions. A drunk individual is controlled by the alcohol that they have consumed. Paul says, in like manner then, the Spirit of God should control the life of a believer. The drunk walks by his wine, but the believer walks by the Spirit. The police officer is out on the road and they see a car weaving in front of them. They pull that car over. If they suspect that driver of driving intoxicated, they ask them to step out of their vehicle, to step to the rear, and they want to issue them a sobriety test. And one of the first things that they'll ask him to do in taking that test is what? Walk this line for me right here. Walk down this line and let me see how you do. Because walking a line, your walk can reveal a whole lot. And for many, when they are intoxicated, walking that line is an impossibility. And it lets the officer know that that individual is under the influence and control of alcohol. Well, Paul here, Paul here is telling us that as believers, our walk should be under the control and the influence of the Spirit. What, the, what alcohol is to the body negatively, the Holy Spirit is to us as God's children positively where alcohol will make you walk in ways you wish you never had. The Holy Spirit makes us walk in ways we never could. Paul tells us we must be filled with the Spirit. And Paul goes on here to, to give us some of the effects of what it looks like to live a Spirit-filled life. These are the evidences to know if you are filled with the Spirit. And here's what we've got to understand. If you are filled with the Spirit, it'll be evident. It'll be evident. It will lead to other things in your life. This is what Paul says about being drunk with wine. He says, don't be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Drunkenness is a sin, but when you become drunk with wine, it leads to debauchery, which takes you to other things and places and actions that are also sinful. Likewise, positively, when we're filled with the Spirit and we're yielded to control of the Spirit, the operation of the Spirit in our life is going to lead to other things that are pleasing to God. Well, what are those? This is what Paul gives us in verses 19 through 21. He says, first of all, verse 19, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart. Verse 20, giving thanks for everything to God the Father. And verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, before I mention some thoughts about those 
effects of being filled with the Spirit. Let me say this. We need to understand where Paul is placing the operation of the Spirit here in Ephesians 5. Being filled with the Spirit and walking wisely, he gives us within the context of the church. It's the first area, the first sphere, if you will, of relationships that he gives his attention to. There are others that are coming, but he starts with it here. And this is what I want you to understand. And I think it's important that I say this, especially in these days that we are now living. To be filled with the Spirit means that you are in relationship with other believers, that you are in fellowship with other believers, that you're, you're walking out life wisely with them. You're singing to one another. You're submitting to one another. Paul places this aspect of being filled with the Spirit in the context of a local church. And here's what I want to say to us today. While I'm extremely grateful and thankful and also understanding of the times that we are living in, and I'm grateful that we have this great media technology that allows us to, to get the message out to many of you who are watching us today on your phones or televisions or computer screens. We need to be clear and we need to understand that that, that does not replace the gathering of the people of God in person. I understand that there's wisdom that's employed in these days. I, I get that. But hear me, we must be careful and walk not as those who are unwise, but as wise and ensure that we do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together because to be filled with the Spirit means that we're singing one to another, that we're submitting one to another in close proximity, in fellowship, in person. So understand that to be filled with the Spirit means that it's operating in your life in the context of gathering with a, a local church. But what are those effects of being Spirit-filled? Well, verse 19, Paul says, we will joyfully worship. He says we will address one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. He, he gives us a variety of music that we can sing. Psalms, of course, is the Psalter, the Old Testament hymn book. Hymns are, are songs that uh, are traditionally understood in the church that point us to the, the truth of who God is. There's examples, many believe, in the New Testament epistles. And spiritual songs, some believe, are, are, are those new songs that the Spirit gives us as we go along. But Paul says here we're addressing one another. We're singing first to the Lord, and then we're singing one to another, making melody in our hearts. Now, here's what some of you need to understand this morning. Paul said absolutely nothing about our voices. Paul said absolutely nothing about your voice. Paul said absolutely nothing about whether or not you could carry a tune in a bucket. Absolutely nothing. Paul said the first consideration that you need to give when you're singing before the Lord is what's going on in your heart. And if you're filled with the Spirit, guess what? Your heart's going to be filled with joy. And in that heart, you're going to be making a melody to the Lord. And out of your heart, it's going to come through your lips. And it's going to go to the Lord, and it's going to bless others around you. So understand what Paul is saying here. That if you're Spirit-filled, when you gather with the people of God on the Lord's Day, and we sing, and listen to me, we sing because our God is not merely a God who can be talked about. He must also be sung about. And so we sing. And if you're not singing, guess what? You're not spirit-filled. And it doesn't matter what you sound like. Now, that doesn't mean that you get to sign up to sing a solo next Sunday. That's not what Paul is saying. That's not what I'm saying. But Paul is saying if you are filled with the Spirit, your heart will be joyfully worshiping the Lord, and it will come out in song. And I just might have already stepped off into it this morning, so I might as well go knee-deep. Men... 
Joseph's about to get excited in the Lord. He grew up Pentecostal and it's about to come out this morning. Men, men, you need to sing. We know you can't sing good. It's okay. Sing. Sing because you're filled with the Spirit. Your life is given to control of Him. And your heart is joyful because of what God has done for you. I wonder about the people who can't sing about the God who has saved them by His grace. Men, hear me. Sing. You've got a voice that can resonate. and You know, you know what excites me? When we come in here on a Sunday morning and we've got this great acoustical room here and I can stop singing and I can hear the voices of the others and I can hear some, some timber and I can hear some bass and I can hear some tenor because I know there's some men who are singing. So men, sing. Sing unto the Lord. Sing and lead your family. Let your kids hear you sing. And if they say you can't hold a tune, you say, that's all right. God's got something going on in my heart. Sing. Sing. I feel like I should just say amen right now and end it. Sing. Joyfully worship. But Paul tells us in verse 20 that if we're filled with the Spirit, we'll be perpetually thankful. Perpetually thankful. When we're filled with the Spirit, there's no grumbling present. And then Paul tells us in verse 21 that we will be lovingly submissive, lovingly submissive, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, lovingly submissive. And here's what's interesting. The, 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 the imperative that Paul gives us in verse 18, be filled with the Spirit, is the last imperative that he gives us for a long time, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to cover much of what's to come in Ephesians still. And then this last participle that he gives us here of submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, he's going to come out of that and he's going to show us all kinds of areas where that's to be on display in our life if we are spirit-filled. You want to know if you're spirit-filled? What does your marriage look like? Wives, how do you respect your husbands? Husbands, how do you love your wives? Children, how do you obey your parents? Parents, what are you expecting from your children? How do you relate to your employees or your employer? And how are you relating to the world? All of this is an indication of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Paul says it's a command. It's also something that must be continuously happening. Paul gives us this in the present tense. It's literally be being filled, keep on being filled. Now you've got all the spirits you need in you today as a child of God, but what I want you to know is that your filling bucket leaks. It's got holes in it. And so while you might have yielded pretty well today, there's no guarantee that you're going to yield pretty good tomorrow or even the next hour from now. So you must continually be yielding your life over to the control of the Spirit. You've got a sip. I use this, this, this imagery, I guess. Uh, but you've got a sip to be filled with the Spirit. You know how a person gets drunk with wine? They just keep sipping. Keep sipping, keep sipping, keep sipping, keep sipping, sip, 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 sip. And the next thing you know... They're intoxicated, and their body and their emotions and their minds are given over to the alcohol that is coursing through their veins. They just kept sipping. You know how you get filled with the Spirit? Continually, just keep sipping. Just keep sipping. Just keep sipping. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, Paul said, we were all made to drink of one Spirit. Keep drinking. Keep submitting. Keep yielding. Well, how do we do that? Let me give you a little bit more practical ways. Set your mind on things of the Spirit. Set your mind on things of the Spirit. How do you 
become filled with the Spirit? How do you yield control to Him? Set your mind on the things of the Spirit. It's what Paul says in Romans 8, 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Where's your mind at today? Set it on the things of the Spirit. And then search the Scriptures. You become filled by the Spirit when you search the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit-inspired Scriptures. If you're taking notes this morning, you need to write this passage down, Colossians 3.16. It's the, it's the parallel verse to what Paul gives us here in Ephesians 5.18 and following. In Colossians 3.16, this is what he says. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Where have we heard that before? Ephesians 5. In Ephesians 5.19, Paul says, address one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, same verbiage. In the very next verse, verse 20, he talks about giving thanks always. So in Colossians 3.16, Paul is saying the exact same thing that he's saying here in Ephesians 5 with one noticeable difference. In Ephesians 5, he begins verse 18 with the command, don't be drunk with wine, which is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, the effect of which is singing and giving thanks. But in Colossians 3.16, how does he begin it? Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. And then you'll sing one to another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and there'll be thankfulness in your heart to God. Do you see the connection? You'll never be spirit-filled unless you're scripture-saturated. The word of Christ must dwell in you richly. And as the word is in you, the spirit operates in the power of that word to guide and to govern your life. Search the scriptures. And then finally, how are you to be spirit-filled? Summon. Summon. And what I mean by that is simply ask. In Luke eleven thirteen, Luke tells us that Jesus said, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will the Heavenly Father give? Here it is. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So if we want to be Spirit-filled, we're asking, Father, would you give your Spirit to guide me, to, to impress upon my mind the things of God, to fill my heart with joy, to, to govern my life, to, to remind me that this, this present age is temporary and passing. Father, I need your spirit today to control, to order, to direct. Ask. Ask. And Jesus said, he will give. Paul gives us the instruction. Look carefully. Look carefully as he comes to the end of this idea of how we walk as believers today. Look carefully at your life and ask yourself, am I walking as one who is unwise or wise? Let's pray.